Let me start today by saying, I think it goes without saying, that every mom, every parent, wants what's best for their children. In light of that, I looked up a recent survey that I discovered on the internet, and it put the top 10 things that moms, parents want for their children. Number one, without even being close to any of the remaining nine, number one was happiness. After that was health, stability. They want them to be loved, to be a success, to enjoy careers, to be respected. As they would say in the article, to be lucky in love, to find their passion, to have a fulfilling social life. And then I read another survey that I looked up. This time, it was only surveying Christian parents, Christian moms, dads. And when I read the list, I noticed this. I I compared them side by side. They were almost identical. In fact, the only difference in the Christian one was nominally an inclusion on one thing, is that they wanted their children to know God and go to church. Otherwise, they were identical. And both the lists were filled with good things. But other than the one thing in the Christian one, there was nothing about God. In fact, beyond that, there wasn't anything about others. It was really all about self. Not surprising, totally, from the world around us. Very surprising from God's people. In short, the conclusion is that Christian parents, Christian moms pretty much want identically for their children what moms who don't know Jesus want. They're not much different, other than the fact that they would dare not not have God included. In short, basically, here's what we've done. We've synthesized the kingdom dream with the American dream. We've conflated earthly kingdom values and priorities with heavenly kingdom values and priorities. We have become disciples who have Christ's vocabulary but culture's dictionary. And while it's a good thing, very good thing, that parents, moms in particular, want the best for their children, the question I want to ask today and answer from our text is namely this. What actually is best for your children? And more importantly, who gets to decide it? I don't know if you've ever seen the animated movie Tangled. And Rapunzel is up in this tower, and she's been there all of her life. She's becoming a teenage girl, and she wants to go out. But her mom comes in, and if you watch the animated movie, you'll see she sings this song, and the song is called Mother Knows Best. And she thinks she does. And she tells Rapunzel how good it is for her to be in the tower, how important it is. And then she drops this line on her, basically for the rest of your life, you need to be in here. And she tries to convince her, but all behind everything that she's asking for her daughter to do and to be is really for her. It's for her life and the longevity of her life. It's really not what's best for Rapunzel. It's really best for her. James and John, you know them in the Bible. They're in our text. Sons of thunder, that's what they're called by Jesus. Their mom... Although James and John are going to put her up to it because the same identical text is repeated in Mark's gospel, chapter 10. She's not even mentioned. 
And the idea is that she's giving, that she's asking it, but behind it is really James and John. They're putting her up to it. And so she comes to Jesus, and it does, the text doesn't say it, but we know this from other Bible verses. Um, her name is Salome. And we know that because later in this gospel, she's identified, she is Jesus' mother, Mary's sister, right? And James and John are Jesus' first cousins because the woman coming to ask the question is his aunt. Now, when, that's, that's important. You know why? Because how can Jesus say no to his family, right? I mean, if you're going to ask Jesus something and you want to get it done, who better to ask than Aunt Salome, right? So they come, and they're hoping that Jesus sees family first. That should move him enough. And so the Bible says, if you look at the Bible verse, it says in verse 20, she comes. And I think she really wants the best for her children. And the Bible says in verse 20 that she came and she was kneeling before him. It means to put yourself down low on the ground, not just on a knee, but flat on the ground. She's prostrate. The only other time this verse is used, this word is used, in chapter 17, 14, is when a man whose son had epilepsy came and got on his knees and begged Jesus to heal him. And when you first see her coming and kneeling, you might think before you read the rest of the story that something went wrong with James and John, that they have some sort of disease, they had a problem, and Jesus is going to have to do a miraculous thing, but not at all. See, she's not desperate in that way. She's serious, though. Dead serious. And she comes and she kneels before Jesus, and he asks her this question. What do you want? What do you want? Now, that, please mark it down in your Bible, is repeated. That little question is down in verse 32 of the same chapter. Jesus comes up to blind men and does the same exact word in the Greek. He says, what do you want? Now, it's different. You know why they put them side by side? Because the guy asking for his sight to be restored is what the kingdom has been all about. It's about Jesus taking people who are low and bringing them up. But that's not the question the first time around because Salome is not low. She wants her sons not to be healed but to be made high. So she's coming not with the normal kingdom concerns. She's coming with a different set of kingdom concerns. But for her, higher is best for her son. That's what she thinks is best. She thinks that her kids need to move up the kingdom ladder, that they need to power over the other disciples, which you'll see later in the text didn't go over so well. See, she thinks this, I'm going to decide and my sons are going to decide what's best. And in doing so, they basically see, see Jesus as a ticket to the top. She says, verse 21, Say that these two sons of mine, Jesus, you just say it. You command it, it'll be done. It'll be written in stone, it'll be good. Here's what I want. I want you to put my sons and have them sit on your right hand and on your left in your kingdom. Where does this come from? Where does she get this idea? If you look back just a chapter with me, please do, in chapter 19 and verse 28. Jesus is talking about suffering. He's talking about the cost of following him. He's talking about all the things that... As a disciple, you're going to have to give up. But he says, even though you'll pay the price, you will eventually be rewarded. Because as he sits on the throne, he says to these 12, you will sit on the 12 thrones beside me. 
and you will rule and reign with me. And they couldn't get that out of their mind. They had in their mind that this is what it was all about. It was all about thrones. And Salome, hearing that from them, here's what she says. I want my son not just to have a throne. I want him to have the throne. I want him to be at the top. See, sitting on Jesus' right hand and his left, those were positions of honor. And what she wanted for her child and what she thought was best for her boys was that that be honored because that's the decision they had made. For them, first was best. See, her and her sons failed to listen in those previous texts before our chapter. Although Jesus mentioned thrones and he did say that they were coming, both of the stories previous to this end with this little phrase that was foundational to Jesus' kingdom thinking. He said this, the first shall be last, And the last shall be first. All they heard were thrones. All they saw were crowns. They didn't hear, first shall be last. Moms, let me ask you today, all parents with her. Have you ever considered that your best for your children may not be God's best, Jesus' best for your children? See, don't get me wrong. Salome was a good woman. She believed in Jesus. She believed that he was the Messiah. She believed that he was the king and that he had a coming kingdom. She got all those things right. She was right about them. But the problem was that she had the right kingdom vocabulary but the wrong kingdom dictionary. She had been raising her sons to think first was best, all the while Jesus, in the context, is marching to Jerusalem to show in his life and in his death that last is best. Can I tell you this? Last and teaching your children to want to be last, it's not popular. Go on Amazon. I did this week. There's a book called this. I don't suggest you get it. The title is this, Me First. Subtitle, The Guilt-Free Guide to Prioritizing You. Putting you first. How do you do it? And you don't even have to feel bad about it. Make yourself the center of everything. That's what our culture preaches. To make your children and raise your children so that they can live first. Dr. Gene Twinge, who wrote a book called Generation Me, wrote this. Today's young people are the most confident, ambitious, and self-assertive generation. But at the very same time, they are the most cynical, depressed, lonely, and anxious. And you know why? Because first doesn't quench thirst. It doesn't. See, if Jesus got to decide in your family, moms, if Jesus got to decide in your life and the life of the children that you have and that you're raising, he would tell you this. Here's what I want you to do for your children. I want you to teach them how to live last. See, the mother who truly knows best will want that for her children. She will want them not to live just with Jesus, but like Jesus. So let me ask you, what would it look like, moms, if you took up Jesus' kingdom parenting principles? If you wanted the most for your child and asked Jesus on your knees the most in your prayers, that he would teach your children to live last, what would it look like? Two things. 
First, it would look like this. To live last like Jesus, you must share his cup. You know, they asked the question to Jesus, and I want you to put my son on your right hand and on your left. And the answer that Jesus gives, I'm sure, wasn't what they thought. The first thing he says is, you've lost it. (laughs) Not really. He says this, you don't know what you're asking. You don't grasp it. You are completely off base about what you think my kingdom and my mission are all about. You think that the most important thing for your child, as they're with me, is to share crowns with me. It's not. It's to share a cup with me. See, you're thinking about being with me, them being with me someday. I'm thinking about them being like me today. See, you want to elevate your child. You want to put your child up. You want your child to be on my right hand and on my left. And Jesus, I'm sure perhaps inside, maybe a little bit, was laughing because he knew that it wasn't very long down the road in this book that they would learn that the two people that were actually on his right and on his left hand were those who were crucified next to him. But the guy crucified next to Jesus, he got it right. He understood the kingdom. When everyone else standing around the cross that day did not, and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into the See, the guy on the cross got it right, but Salome hasn't. The mom didn't get it right on this day. She didn't know what it really meant to be on Jesus' right hand, on the left hand, in this kingdom. See, she was wanting a crown, but she didn't want one of thorns to go with it. So Jesus asked them, and he's going to ask all of our moms today, truly through them, all of us. He's going to say, let me ask you a spiritual diagnostic question. You ready? He says to them, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you able? It's the word dunamis. Do you have the power? Do you have the ability to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they immediately, without hesitation, say this, we are able It's our problem today. See, it's our problem. Jesus is asking, listen, he wants to say, hey, this isn't just about where you sit and the honor you think you'll get. He goes, I want to probe deeper. I want to go below the surface. I want you to know, what do you think you're really asking for? What does it demonstrate in your life, moms, that you really want when you want your children to be honored above all else? Jesus says, I want to get below the surface Because every single one of his disciples, all of them, including James and John, were not able. When it came to it and Jesus was arrested, every single one of them ran. Judas completely defected. Peter denied. They were far from ready, although every single one of them boasted that they were. Peter said, I'll go to even prison and to death for you. See, that is the generation, unfortunately, that are being raised in America today. They are constantly overestimating their levels of loyalty and commitment to Jesus. And what we've done is we have equalized being with Jesus and being like Jesus. So we think that we can pursue all the things and all the higher honors of this world. And if we just get our kids to church, Sunday mornings at least. And if they could just be with Jesus a little bit, that they'll make it. And we believe that when we do that, as we practice it all through high school, and now we're ready to send them off to the university, and then we say to them, and they think in their minds, oh yeah, I'm ready, I'm able, and they're far from it. 
Why do we want our kids just to be with Jesus and not really be like him? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I can tell you this. It's far easier in the world in which we live to get your kids to say that they're saved, to go to church on Sunday mornings. Hopefully, as they go through high school and college, they won't do any of the big sins. And then they can be, above all else, happy and successful and be nice. But see, Jesus would say to him, to all of us, as he said to Salome that day, basically, there is no cup in that. I'm about to drink the cup of suffering and sacrifice. See, there won't be any crowns except ones filled with thorns. See, I'm going to teach you that first is last and last is first. And we're usually not interested in it. Our kids are more prepared for their college entrance exam than the kingdom entrance exam. We have taught many of us, our children, to put more time into preparing for your ACT test than your GOD test. We know how to study and we know how to get grades. And we can get an A in calculus, but an F in God. Some have taught their children much more about how to make a living than how to make a life. We have been subdued and imbibed the American dream until it has become a nightmare. And that is a result for too many of God's people, moms and parents. They think that in their own minds and in their children's mind that they are able and they are not. And it's not till they go up to college, and we have seen this surveyed across America, they are not ready for the cup of peer pressure. They're not ready for the cup of saying no and the temptations to sex and alcohol. They are not ready for the secular onslaught of a God-denying and God-denouncing ideology in our world. They're not ready for those cups to drink. They're not ready to be unpopular, undated, and unlike everyone else. They are not because we have told them to do all that needs to be done to be popular, be liked, and like everyone else, including pursuing their goals. And now, a first faith, a me-first faith, is leaving the faith. And they don't populate our church services anymore. They're not interested in God. And the reason is, is they have figured out on their own and too often from watching their parents that the heavenly kingdom and the earthly kingdom really aren't compatible, so I have to choose, and they opt out for you know which one. They have figured out that what we haven't figured out as moms and dads, that living last and living lukewarm really can't go together. At our dinner table, once in a while, Sherry will say to me on a night we have food that she specially likes, she says, Lance, after me, you're first. <laughs> I think sometimes, as funny as that is, I think it's what we say to our children and we have taught our children to say to Jesus, after me, Jesus, you're first. <laughs> That's the bad news. The bad news is too many mothers, too many parents do not really actually know best for their children. But the good news is, is it can all change. James and John, they weren't ready on that night. They weren't ready to drink the cup. But can I tell you this? Eventually they did. 
Eventually, they drank the cup. They totally changed. See, out of the 12 disciples, James was killed, suffered, and martyred for his faith. He was the very first one in Acts chapter 12. And later, his brother John, who wasn't ready to drink the cup that day, he was the last to die for his faith as he was exiled on Patmos. See, eventually they came to the place where James and John were able. You have to ask the question, don't you? What happened? What changed? How did they go from me first to me last? How did they go from not drinking the cup to being able to drink the cup? Well, that's number two, and that's this. To live last like Jesus, you not only have to share his cup, but you have to share his cross. And in verses 24 through 28, here's what happened to them. Salome's sons were enabled to actually live that way and able to share Jesus' cup. And here's how. And here's how your child can make the switch. It was a paradigmatic shift in their thinking and understanding about what greatness really is. That's how they changed. Now, in the context, look in the Bible. There's two views of greatness. One in verse 25. It's the world's one, and it's characterized by this little phrase, their great ones. Jesus is talking about Gentiles and leaders in the, in the Roman world. They had the Roman dream, and they had Roman greatness. And in the Roman world, greatness was going to the top, being high, having titles, possessions, money, land, and power. Their great ones. But Jesus says, in contrast, verse 26, draw a line to it, Great ones among you. Can I tell you, this is obvious, but not for us when we raise our kids too often. Can I tell you this? There's a big, huge difference between greatness in the world and greatness in God's kingdom. Huge difference. Huge. Great one, megaloi in the Greek, mega. There is a mega difference in what mega really is. See, in Jesus' kingdom, you power under But Jesus says in the other world's kingdom, you power over, you lord it over people. See, great equals first in that kingdom. Great equals more authority. Great equals going up and getting on top. Great means holding on to your rights and using them only for your personal advantage. Great means me over you, me instead of you. That's the Roman dream. That's the American dream. And Jesus has five words to say to it. Ready? Literally in the Greek, not so be among you. And the emphatic word starting the sentence is not. He says, you know what? The world's greatness and how it works and how it offers. Here's what we say to our children. Ready? Not. Moms. Parents. Here's what our kids need to hear. That's not greatness that's not greatness that's not god greatness don't get me wrong it doesn't mean that we shouldn't want our children to excel and get straight a's and scholarships it shouldn't it doesn't mean that we don't want them to be promoted at their job or to have authority in position someday it doesn't mean any of those things rather it means this it means that if you attain all of those things it they are not the center of real greatness And Jesus tells us that in very clear terms in verse 26 and 27. And he starts it off, listen, with this. But 
It's the strongest contrast that there is. See, he's going to contrast what's going on, not just on what you do, but who you are. That's the problem that we're facing today as we raise our kids. In verse 26 and in verse 27, there's a little phrase that is repeated. And in the ESV, it's would be. Those who would be great. Those who would be first. It literally means this, if you desire it. There is nothing wrong in Jesus' book of desiring to be first or desiring to be great as long as you use his dictionary to tell you what it is. See, in Jesus' kingdom, people who are great and people who are first have a change on the inside. See, they've come to the realization this is what they desire They desire to be great, but great according to Jesus' kingdom. Great equals last. Great equals slave. Great equals wanting these things so that you can make Jesus high, not yourself. It is not stapling on a few things in your resumes. You go off to college so that you can put some social service and some charity work on there so that it makes you look even better. He's not looking for that. See, if you want to be kingdom great, if you want to be able to say, I can drink the cup because I've come to the cross, here's what you have to realize. You have to realize that it's a change from the inside out. It's not stapling on things. It's not doing things a little differently occasionally. No, it's becoming a complete different person. See, moms who know best, here's what they want. They want their children to live last like Jesus from the inside out. They want them to want differently. That they still can want good grades and a good job, but above all of it, not even close, is they want Jesus supremely. See, he's not an add-on. He's not an extra. He's not someone to fit in your schedule if there's time and you can move things around so that you have convenience for him. That's primarily what we've taught our children. No, he's saying this, moms. It's loving him from the inside because he's the center of everything. See, that's what James and John were missing And the crazy thing is, they missed it all the while they were with Jesus for three years. With him, but not like him. What changed them on the inside out? A cross. Jesus says at the end of the text, see, let me be the model for you. See, I I came and should have been first, but I came to be last. I should have been served But I came to serve. And let me tell you this. And when you take that mentality and you bring the cross into your life, it will cost you. Jesus says, and I paid the ransom. Ransom means to pay the price, to bring somebody freedom. See, here's the model. Jesus says, it'll cost you to live this way. We have not taught, by and large, our children the price to pay. We try to keep them from the price. We try to shelter them from the sacrifices and the risks. We do. But see, it's those sacrifices that they actually need in their lives. Because that's the model of greatness. 
See, we want greatness for our children that usually involves no cups and no crosses, only crowns. And Jesus explodes that crossless lie and says it's not greatness at all. What your children need to change from the inside out is a cruciform power that will give them a new life. Jesus says, I gave myself a ransom that I could give life to many. Give life. See, that's what has to happen inside of us and in our children. A new life, a new greatness, a new way of thinking about what kingdom is all about. An article I read this week said this, Why Christian Parents Should Not Want Good, Happy, Safe Kids. That was the title. And in it says this, It seems the modern American evangelical parenting manifesto is this, Be nice, be happy, be safe, no matter what. The article goes on to describe this as moral therapeutic deism, which is this, a belief in God, hear this, who exists if needed, and who wants to help people be nice, happy, and safe, and if they are, then they can die and go to heaven later. It's a crossless lie, and Jesus proved it because he ransomed us by taking an unhappy, an unnice, an unsafe cross. That cross is what will change this generation. Cruciform moms. Cruciform moms who will say, Jesus is the model and I follow that model. Moms as models of the cup and cross. That's what will change this generation. Moms who share in his life and in his death. Moms who, are, who dare to desire cups and crosses over crowns. Moms who dare to raise their children not in their own image, but in the image of God. Moms who don't raise kids who have educated minds but sterile hearts. Kids who have full book bank accounts but empty lives. That's what it looks like. Moms who want their kids to be with Jesus after they die and be like Jesus before they die. There was a little girl one day, and she was learning to do things in the kitchen with her mom. And out of the blue, her daughter just stopped and looked up at her mom and said, Mom, what's a Christian? Her mom paused for a second, wasn't ready for that one. But she took a few minutes and said, this is what a Christian is, and this is what a Christian does. And the little girl kind of tilted her head a little bit and was paused and quiet for a moment. And then she looked at her mom and said, Mom, have I ever seen one? How about it, moms? Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide what's best for your children? Have your children ever seen one? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, just a moment, we're going to sing a song. We'll be dismissed to our small groups. They're certainly all welcome to stay for that.
But just a quick challenge to especially our moms today. Moms, who's deciding what's best for your children? You or Jesus? Does what's best for your children in the way that you're raising them? Are there cups? Are there crosses? Or only crowns? Have you taught your children only to go up? Or have you taught them to go down? Do they know what it means to serve? Do they know what it means to sacrifice? Do they know what it means to put others before themselves because they've seen it in Jesus and in you? We need this. Moms, parents, all of us. But moms in particular, we need that in our homes. We need that in your life. That truth shocked and changed and reversed James and John radically and completely. That can happen in your home. It can, Mom, if you know Jesus and follow him as your model and teach it to your children. Heavenly Father, what an awesome responsibility it is to be a parent in particular, to be a mother. Oh God, I pray that our mothers at Faith Baptist Church would be those who are asking Jesus questions too, but not questions promoting this kingdom, but yours. I pray for moms today, with all the difficulties and troubles and all the responsibilities they have, Help them to see how crucial and formative their lives are and their examples. May they have children who see Jesus in them. And may you bless them and encourage them. And may your cruciform power enable them to take up their cross and follow you. And may that be used by your grace and for your glory in the lives of those children that you've given them. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.